Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I thought I would talk about the Cranberries for a hot minute. Now, I grew up with the Cranberries, and their song Linger is still to this day one of my favorite songs of all time. Also, Dreams. Dreams is another tune that I really loved growing up. Um, They were just so different, and they were so unique and interesting. And, of course, Dolores, her voice is so just so unique like i haven't even heard anyone else sing like dolores since she's come along Uh, she is very strong so without further ado i'm just going to jump right into it now i have to put this as a preface okay there's gonna be probably um a lot of irish names being spoken and because it's me i have a hard time already pronouncing names of people so god forbid if i happen to say dolores's name wrong or anyone else's name wrong Please forgive me already at this point in time. It's it's going to be probably a challenge, all right? So, without further ado, let me tell you the backstory, the early life, the formative years of Dolores O'Riordan. She was born on the 6th of September in 1971 in a little town called Ballybricken in Limerick in Ireland. She is actually the youngest of nine children, two of whom died when they were babies. Her father was a farmer up until the point where he had a tragic accident on a motorcycle accident in 1968, which left him brain damaged. From a very young point in her life, from when she was a teenager, she had to help the family as she was struggling to find herself, which is already challenging as it is. But then you add on the fact that you have a mentally and physically impaired parent. What do you do? Her mother was a school caterer, so she at least had a mother who had somewhat of a decent upbringing. But this is just like an interesting part of her life, you know. She was raised in a devout Roman Catholic family. And again, I think as probably a lot of Irish families are, they're really ingrained in their religion. And Catholicism is what they all kind of center their life around. You know, the church is the big thing. And so she, as she was growing up, as she was kind of feeling out what musical tastes she was getting inspired by, the church and gospel music was something that was kind of her staple for her. Like she grew up in the church and that's where she would find herself in the choir and teaching herself how to play the piano and things like that. Uh, Dolores was actually singing before she could talk, so that's fascinating. When she was five years old, the principal of her school took her into the sixth class sat her on the teacher's desk and told her to sing for the 12-year-old students in the class. So this is the thing, right? She was getting known as the kid in school who would be uh, the girl who wrote music. You know, she was the one in school that everyone knew her to write music and to play music. And a lot of her teachers would, like, make her get up in front of the class, in front of everyone, and sing songs, which is daunting, but, I mean, she was up to the challenge and she did it. She started with traditional Irish music and playing the Irish tin whistle when she went to school, and that's kind of where she got more of her formative education with music as well. But tragedy would keep on striking her family when she was about seven years old. Her sister accidentally burned the family house down. Can you imagine how living in rural Ireland at this time, you're you're living in a somewhat poor kind of situation and your house burns down to the ground, all your worldly possessions are in there and you're very young, what do you do? The community, luckily, um, in Ballybrook Inn, they were able to raise funds to buy the family a new house. 
And I think as most musically gifted people are, she didn't pay any attention at all to her school lessons in favor of writing music and playing music and having her life be all consumed with music. I found that anyone who is like artistically gifted or they're gifted in a different way, they don't pay attention to school at all. Um, they just are so all consumed with like their talent and their craft that they focus on that so much more. I mean, hey, listen, I was never a fan of school either. <laughs> so I understand. She would favor instead writing songs and making music and focusing on the music that she loved. And some of her early influences, again, like I mentioned, would come from the church and uh, traditional Irish music and gospel music. Elvis was actually a big um, inspiration for her. Rock and roll music was also big for her as well as she got older, like the Beatles, the Smiths, the Cure, Susie Sue and the Banshees, etc., etc., uh, she says that from a young age, I used to go from school to piano lessons to home and maybe I'd have to go to church and then I might have some homework and go to bed. So that's how she kind of thought about her early years and then she would try to help the family as much as she possibly could. So she was trying to find a balance in the midst of her crazy young life because she had her family obligations with her father not being able to do anything, her having eight other siblings and the mom doing kind of everything um, and then she has her school stuff and then she has her music. So she's balancing a lot for someone that's very young. In the midst of all this, funny enough, she actually was learning the accordion from her dad. And then she also had a part-time job at a couple of clothing stores in Limerick. So she was really just doing it all. And this is when she was very young. When she was 17, she then taught herself how to play the guitar. So she would slowly and slowly acquire all of these um, instruments and learn how to play them and tackle them. Um, you know, the harmonium and the piano and the accordion and all of this. It's just more and more and more that she would add to her repertoire um, and make her so unique and so special as well. But above and beyond her training, she had amazing ear, which means that she could pick up on uh, melodies, tone and pitch just from listening. So and I find that to be the case with a lot of musicians, too. A lot of them can't read sheet music, um, so she can pick it up by ear. So as she was becoming into her own and she was turning 18, she was thinking about what she wanted to do in her life. And everyone around her knew that music was the thing that she probably would go and she would do professionally. Her mom encouraged her to either become a nun of all things or get a college degree and become a music teacher. But instead, Dolores would end up running away from home and live a couple of years with her boyfriend at the time. She had to get away from everything, and she would say this in an interview with Vox magazine, that at 18, I left home because I wanted to sing. My parents wanted me to go to college and things like that. I was really poor for a year and a half. I remember actually being hungry, like I'd die for a bag of chips. That's when I joined the Cranberries, and it's just so interesting how everything kind of just falls into place for her. Like, she wasn't living with her boyfriend at 18 for a very long time until she happened upon the Cranberries. And music would always become her escape from her bleak reality that she was living in. I mean, I could only imagine how tough it must be to live in Ballybrickin, you know, Limerick, Ireland, and you're larger than life and you're kind of like a fish out of water and you don't really belong there. Like you belong to the world. She had so much talent that she needed to explore and she needed to get out into the world and I can imagine how hard that must have been for her. So music became her escape. She said, if I started to sing, then all the others in the room would stop and listen. 
because of obviously we all know her voice is just so special and so interesting. So in 1990, she ended up meeting a local band by the name of the Cranberry Sauce. And it's funny how they say their name, the Cranberry Saw Us is actually the name of the band. But when you say it, it sounds like it's the Cranberry Sauce, Um, which is like a bit of a novelty thing. But that's what they were doing. They weren't necessarily trying to make the most serious music of all time. Um, They were just trying. They were a local limerick band as well. So uh, they were trying and she would end up replacing their lead singer. So uh, she would go and audition for the Cranberry Sauce and they gave her a blank tape uh, for her to record her vocals on. So what they did was they also gave her a tape of looped chords, like guitar chords and bass and drums and things like that, and say, put your vocals on this and then send it back to us. And it only took her one week before she would come back to them with songs that she had written for the accompanying music. And one of the songs that would end up being in their repertoire and one of my favorites is Linger. This is where she would write the song Linger. And just a little bit of a backstory about Linger. Linger was written about her then 17-year-old boyfriend who was drafted into the military and was away in Lebanon. And they would write love notes to each other and things like that. I just find that so crazy. Like, that's just one of the first songs that she would write for them. And it's one of their most popular. I think that's so crazy. Um, But the thing about Dolores, too, that you'll see as a pattern here in the Cranberries is that she wanted to be different. She didn't want to just write about ooey gooey, soft and chewy love songs. She wanted to write about serious things um, and have it be from the heart. And she didn't want to assimilate or acclimate to what everyone else in the music industry was doing. She wanted to be her own person and walk to the beat of her own drum and so that's that was set in stone already at the beginning of her time with the cranberries here it comes of no surprise they would end up changing their name to just the cranberries and not the cranberry sauce thank god that was probably the smartest choice that they could have ever done a quote from one of the band members at this early time said that dolores came and sang a few songs that she had written We were blown away that this small girl from Limerick had such an amazing voice. The fact that she wasn't already in a band was a miracle. So now we're going to get into the brief history of the Cranberries. Now, I'm not going to go super, super, super in-depth about the Cranberries. I'm just going to give, I think, the most formative information. I was just kind of more so fascinated about how the Cranberries came up with some of their most famous hits and then Dolores and what happened with her. They had now a demo of the song Linger with Dolores' vocals on the backing track of the loops, right? So now they had a demo, and they were trying to pass the tape off to various record companies um, over in London because I think that they knew, at least as far as I have an understanding of it, that to make it big in Ireland, you'd have to be U2. And U2 at the time was the biggest band to come out of Ireland. So they knew that you had to make it big over in England, I would say first maybe, or you'd get a better shot of becoming more famous if you shot your shot over in England across the pond. It wasn't even that far away anyway. So they tried to um, give their tape to various recording companies in London, and they quickly became the talk of the industry, mostly because of Dolores and her fascinating voice and how she would kind of yodel. You know that kind of yodel that she does? Like she just had a really interesting resonance about her and people were so fascinated with her um so they were quickly becoming the talk of the town and in the summer of 91 following a gig at the university of limerick which was also attended by 32 a and r recording company men they were signed to island records island records is probably one of the most famous 
recording companies, for the cranberries to get on there right away is very impressive. They mostly joined to Island Records because of the record producer Denny Cordell, who was there. And Denny promised the cranberries that he would allow them to develop at their own pace, and suggested that they get some touring under their belt before they just came in and immediately recorded some music and an album.、Um, so he really wanted them to kind of spread their wings first, get the hang of the music industry on that side of the coin first, before they jump. Straight into an album, which I think is different compared to how most would do it. Most would be like, "Right, you're signing with us. You got to get like 50 albums done right now." So, in the following year, in 1992, they began recording their debut album called "Everybody Else Is Doing It, So Why Can't We?" with producer Stephen Street. Now, Stephen Street is also a very big producer. He worked with bands such as The Smiths and Blur and a lot of other people. A lot of other famous people.、Uh, the band credits him with helping to create the sweepingly epic cranberry sound, you know, like the orchestras and things like that,、um, that we all know them for today. And without him, I think we would have gotten maybe a different cranberries. And that's true. I think it really relies on what kind of music producer you have in the booth with you, so that they can create the sound that you really are trying to embody. So he was like their magician, if you will, to create. The amazing sound that we know them for, and the title of the album actually was Dolores's creation. It expressed their determination to succeed, and、uh, she has this to say about it: Elvis wasn't always Elvis. He wasn't born Elvis Presley. He was a person who was born in a random place. Why shouldn't a band from a small city in the southwest of Ireland get signed, conquer the world, and make a great record? So basically, everyone else is doing it. So why can't we? Is so. So much deeper than I ever really thought it would be, and I love that. And this album was released in the UK in March 1993. It took off a few months later when Linger was picked up by College Radio over in America, which is also another aspect of this. Like a lot of bands, for some reason, from over across the pond, like in England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, you know that you've made it big when you actually make it over in America. For some reason, that's like the touchstone. But it makes sense, I suppose.、Uh, so once Linger made it big in college radios over in America, it really, really, really took off. And I have to say, because this is 1993, right? So grunge has already been dominating the charts across America for a few years at this point. So you have to imagine, like Linger, which is the most non-sounding grunge song of all time, it comes over to America and it places really high. And especially with the young people with college radios, I mean, come on, that really shows a lot about who the Cranberries are, and that they don't sound like the norm, but they still produce music that everyone wants to listen to. It would also go on to hit number one in both Ireland and the UK and sell more than six million copies worldwide. So they're doing something right. Their 1994 follow-up album, No Need to Argue, also sold millions of records as well and made it just as big as their first. And the Cranberries even taped an MTV Unplugged show, which I think is also another touchstone that would go to say, if you're a band and you do an MTV Unplugged show, especially back in the day, you've made it big as well.、Um, so they're already doing the most, and this is only their second album. So this is where Dolores really wants to put her foot down in regards to what music she wants the Cranberries to go. And what direction she wants the band to go, and what message she wants to put out to people. One of the biggest, probably I would say, even the most, maybe the most number one, a biggest song that they would do is "Zombie." 
And that is completely 180, lyrically different from any of the other songs that they would ever do because it talks about a very important time in Ireland's history. It actually was about two children that were killed during a 1993 bombing in England by the Irish Republican Army. She decided, listen, I'm not going to try and write a million and one songs about love, relationships, and does he like me, does he not like me. I want to write about songs that are cutting to the core of people and writing about real stuff. And she was very adamant to her label that, listen, I'm writing this song and you're not going to stop me. I don't care like how much you're trying to pay me to write something else. You can't buy me off. You can't pay me off. I am writing real music here. So she was given a $1 million check uh, from the label to work on another song. And apparently, according to her former manager, Alan Kovac, he saw Dolores rip up this $1 million check in front of the label executives, which is a big a middle finger to them. And she's like, listen, I am not trying to pander to anybody. I'm not trying to write songs that the masses will flock to and enjoy in terms of like love and romance and this, that and the third, like happy go lucky, you know, whatever soft tunes. I'm trying to write songs that actually make a political statement. And this is where she would put her foot down. And it worked because Zombie became one of their most popular songs. And it still is, I think, widely covered today. So she did the right thing. Also, in the summer of 1994, Dolores married Don Burton, who was the touring manager for Duran Duran. And they would stay together for a very long time. A 1996 tour was cut short when Dolores was dealing with exhaustion. So this is now where we're going to start to see Dolores dive into her addictions just a little bit because she was drinking a lot. She was very um, depressed in some aspects. You know, I think maybe she could have just been susceptible to this due to her past because also, what happened to her in her past is that she was uh, molested by a family friend when she was very young, and that obviously takes effect on you. And also, you know, she got into the cranberries when she was very, very young, like 19, maybe 20 years old. You're trying to deal with fame from a very young age, and you're compounding all of this. It's just very difficult, and you're a female, a strong female trying to get ahead of everyone in the music industry and everyone's trying to cut you down left, right, and center. I would absolutely assume it was very hard for her to try to grapple with all of these things all at once. Um, so she turned to alcohol to kind of numb her pain, of course. It's just compounding each other. And unfortunately, this would follow her through the rest of her life. This is where we start to see the struggle where the cranberries are rising in fame and making it big, but then also they're falling at the same time because Dolores is kind of falling off of the bandwagon, if you will. Unfortunately for the band, they never again repeated their very early level of success with their first two albums. They've created a lot of albums since, of course, but it never reached that same level. Their 2001 album called Wake Up and Smell the Coffee peaked at number 45, but even as their sound grew edgier and punkier, they never lost their fan base. And that's important too. Like they had a really strong fan base that to the core of them loved the Cranberries regardless of what they did or what they didn't do or if they made it big or not. So that's at least really important. They had a really strong, secure fan base that loved them. Unfortunately, due to all of these things compounding each other, again with Dolores and her issues, 
uh, and the cranberries never reaching that level of success that they had in the early days, they broke up in 2003. So in this time period, Dolores herself released two solo albums in the span of these couple of years um, and was doing her own thing, living with her husband and her children. I believe she settled at a home in New York for some time and then in Ireland some other times. She would kind of go back and forth trying to find herself. Uh, the Cranberries then regrouped in 2009 where they would eventually release one of their strongest albums, at least to date here, which is called Roses in 2012. Um, so this is now coming into more contemporary times. Unfortunately, though, Dolores's life just kept on spiraling. She never really got better. I don't even really know if she even got treatment for her addictions, to be honest. I think that's sad if she never did, because I think that is such an important part of healing yourself. She never really got better. I think she just tried to manage it, but then she would fall off the wagon. She later claimed that she tried to overdose on pills in 2012. Not only that, but her marriage ended in 2014, two years later, and things would kind of maybe make sense for her later when she was subsequently diagnosed as bipolar. So she had a lot of things just compounding each other that would result in her spiraling throughout the rest of her life that would eventually lead to her very tragic and untimely death. So with her marriage done and dusted in 2014, she moved to New York and began working with a new band called Dark, and it featured former Smiths bassist Andy Rourke. And the band's 2016 debut album called Science Agrees was a lot more experimental and electronic compared to the Cranberries. I think it's a good thing that you're doing something genrely different or tonally different than what the cranberries is known for i think you have to experiment and do a whole lot of other things to get it out of your system you know she was dealing with a lot so she kind of poured it all out into her music her solo work and in this band here i think it's great that she is trying to find her footing again in other things aside from the cranberries um, the day before she died, Dolores flew over to London and she was planning to meet with her record producer about the second almost finished Dark album. And she was also adding her vocals to a new version of Zombie by the LA metal band called Bad Wolves. I've heard that version and it's on their YouTube channel. It's a really, really, really somber but really bittersweet dedication to Dolores. Um, maybe I'll leave it in the description for you guys so that you can listen to it and check it out yourselves. So just to set the time, this is now January of 2018. After midnight on the 15th of January, she would leave two voicemails for Dan White, who was a label executive who had set up the collaboration with Bad Wolves. Uh, and in her messages, she talked lovingly about her kids, expressed their thrill at the Eminem sample, um, she had a sample uh, with Eminem, uh, and she was really excited about that. And she would sing a snippet of the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony over the voicemail to Dan. And I think that's really, 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 really sweet. I think that's great. So she was in good spirits. That's kind of the whole point. The whole point is to say she seemed to be at least in good spirits. And at 2 a.m. on the 15th, Dolores would have her last phone call with her mother as well. And obviously the contents of that call, we don't know, but that's personal. And so she would speak to her mom that one last time. And then later on that morning, she was found unresponsive in the bathroom and was pronounced dead at 9.16 a.m. She was only 46 years old. She was very, very young and led a incredibly turbulent life. 
The cause of her death was not made public until an inquest at Westminster Coroner's Court held on the 6th of September, which ruled that she died as a result of an accidental drowning in a bath following sedation by alcohol intoxication. Essentially what that means, she got drunk, she went into the bathtub, and then she accidentally drowned. Obviously, your senses are inhibited when you're drunk and intoxicated. Obviously, she just fell under and she couldn't help herself and save herself, which is so tragic and so very unfortunate that she would die like that. Um, I remember the day that it came out that she died and I was so shocked because I really, I, I genuinely, I genuinely loved her so much when I was a child. I mean, when I was young, I would really gravitate towards interesting female vocalists. That was just, I had a phase where I was only really listening to female artists and um, the Cranberries was one of my favorite bands at the time and every time Linger would come on it would give me the goosebumps it would give me chills it would just and every time I listen to it now it just makes me think about the happier times that I had in the 90s in my childhood and I don't know it just it just makes me feel some kind of way it makes me feel it makes me feel like whole in my soul and her voice just strikes a chord with me you know and Dreams is one of my favorite songs as well um I, I just it's very sad when she passed away it felt like a part of my childhood had died Strangely enough, even though I never really looked past or even got into a lot of their music aside from a couple of the songs that I knew from the Cranberries, it just was so tragic when she passed away because there will never be another Dolores O'Riordan. She's the one and only. We'll never have anyone else that'll sound like her. Nobody. No one could have the tenacity that she had. She was a firecracker of a personality and of a person. Like, you could see her on stage just owning the stage and belting out her little you know, vocals and doing everything. Uh, she was super cute, you know, and I just, it makes me sad to know that she's not here anymore to give us any more music with her amazing talent. Um, and she lived a really hectic life, you know. Her early childhood was riddled with a lot of uh, grief and a lot of strife, hardship, you know, but through all of the sludge and all of the grime and the muck, she ended up finding a solace with music, you know, and doing that. And then when she was young, she found the Cranberries just like that. It all worked for her. And one of the first songs she wrote for them was Linger. I mean, it's just, it's like fated. If it was fated to happen for her, just unfortunately, she couldn't get a hold of her demons. She couldn't tackle her demons that were almost like a ball and chain tied to her throughout the rest of her life. It's like she almost had to deal with a monkey on her back. And I feel bad for her that she couldn't get the help that she needed or wanted or anything like that. It's just, I don't know, I feel really bad for her. Um, but that, kind of in a nutshell, I know I didn't go super deep into it with the Cranberries. Um, and I really wanted to give more of the floor to Dolores and what her story was, more so than the Cranberries. Um, but this is where you guys come in. If you feel like you want to learn more about them because of this, then by all means, my job here is just to present to you a story. And if you follow along with the story and you're captivated by it and you want to learn more, there's more information out there. Sink your teeth into it, you know. Um, but as a whole, this was the story of the Cranberries, how they rose to fame and the incredible life of Dolores O'Riordan. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys have an awesome day and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. As I'm recording this right now, today is the 4th of July. So happy 4th to all my American listeners. And happy Monday. Again, as I'm recording this, today's Monday. 
So happy uh, Monday to all of my non-American followers and listeners. Um, but obviously, when this goes up, it'll be Wednesday. So happy week. <laughs> happy weekday. Um, I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.